0: chapter number 8, this is the message, but I was thinking about this verse of scripture. As they were singing, Psalms chapter number 8, verse number 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. When I just consider him for a few minutes, just think about him and consider all that he's done. You come to this question in verse number four. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, that thou put all things under his feet. Aren't you glad for Jesus Christ and him crucified this morning? I thank the Lord for my salvation. I thank the Lord that he is mindful of me, that he was willing not only to come to this earth, born of a virgin under the law, to redeem him that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, but ever since he saved me, I moved in on the inside of me. He's been with me as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And I certainly appreciate uh, that this morning. All right, if I could, uh, this morning, I'm going to get you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 19. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19, if you will stand with us for the reading, in reverence of the word of God, I'm going to start my reading in verse number 41, the Bible says in Luke chapter number 19, in verse number 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city, and listen to these four words, and wept over it saying, If thou hadst known even thou at least in this thy day the things which belong unto thy peace, now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and can pass thee round and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. They shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Father, we have a heavy burden on our heart, and we would ask that you'd help us as we stand this morning to preach the word of God, that you'd help us to rightly divide the word of truth, and that your people could glean some help from the word of God this morning. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing for us, Lord. Save that sinner near his tail, draw that wavering one to repentance, I pray you'd encourage the downtrodden in Jesus' name we pray, and ask these things, amen and amen. Now, as as we see here, I would like for you to understand contextually in verse number 41 down through verse number 43, we find that Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, all right? But I want you to take notice of something as we... uh, Look at a few things here. Let me, let me say this before I get into, into my message. I preached uh, not too long ago uh, on the thought that tears are not proof that the words are truth. In other words, I was preaching a message and explaining to the church that uh, you cannot validate what someone says because of the tears that they have in their eyes. All right, But I would like to say this. Although tears are not proof that the words you hear are truth, tears with truth make undeniable proof. What I mean by that is, tears with truth leaves no doubt the motivation in one's heart when they give that truth to the hearer. And so when we come to someone with tears in our eyes, tears may not validate the words that you're saying as truth. But when the words you're saying are known as truth and it is coupled with the tears that flow from your eyes down onto your cheeks, it is undeniable proof what the motivation of your heart is to the one that is hearing what it is that you have to say. And so what I want to deal with, if the Lord would help me, and I've never preached this message before, never really even give it a whole lot of consideration, but I want to deal with the ministry of tears. Uh, This morning, if the Lord would help me, Uh, I have heard and and, and in counsel and and talking to people uh, run across people that almost had the attitude that if someone shed tears uh, that they were wimpy or a sissy or or something of that nature and almost had a backwards uh, approach to someone that would cry or shed any show any emotion uh, when they when they share the gospel or preach the Bible. And I'm persuaded and I hope the Lord will help me uh, to back this statement up by the time I get done preaching. That you will have to say that what I'm saying is the truth. But I believe we have a, a problem in the house of God today and it's the lack of tears. I honestly feel in my heart that people uh, have got so far removed from, from what God actually done for us. And what's, what Christ actually done for us that we do not any longer have a broken heart we no longer have a a weeping heart we no longer have a a heart for the ministry or the heart for people we've got to the place where we've lost our convictions uh towards even coming to the house of god and uh, i'm afraid that 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 we've got and I, you hear me talk about mechanics and things of that nature but but i'm we have a famine today for people who really honestly truly care and, uh, you know, we, people want to gravitate towards certain instances in the Bible where folk were dogmatic or, or folk were, were, uh, were, were maybe a little rough. But I want to say this. When we truly consider the ministry and we look at Jesus Christ and through his uh, earthly ministry, and then we find Paul and we find Timothy and we find instances where they shed tears. They endured, uh, they endured some things that was hard. They endured some things that was rough. But I want to say this. Although they endured those things, they still had a heart for the ministry. I wrote a note down here. I wanted to share it with you if I can find it. Here it is. Uh, Dr. Havner had this to say. and Man, this just helped me a great deal as I was reading in my study this week. Dr. Havner had this to say. He says that a preacher should have the mind of a scholar the heart of a child and the hide of a rhinoceros. And he said, but his problem is how to toughen his hide without hardening his heart. And I'm persuaded that would would fit in the church today, just not for preachers. I believe we as those that sit in the pew need to... Have the mind of a scholar to study to show ourselves approved, a workman unto God that needeth not to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. To have a heart for God's word and a heart for God's book and a desire to know what God says about our everyday life. But then also have the heart of a child. A child is a very innocent thing. Uh, they don't know about everything that you and I know about. They love to. They love people by default. They, anybody that shows them any concern or any care, they automatically just gravitate to that individual because children, they won't love. They won't understand it. And so we need to have the heart of a child. But we need to have the hide of a rhinoceros. But I think we run into an issue right here because as we get the tough hide, we wind up with a hard heart, And I know that uh, Brother... Parrot was preaching the other night on, on the times in which we live. And I thought about those in the ministry that are trying to do do right, trying to stay straight, trying to, to have the heart that they ought to have. And they come up against opposition and opposition, uh, repetitive opposition, it will cause calluses. You don't you don't cause friction on your hands. Uh, From hard labor very long before blisters come up. And the blisters hurt for a little while. But then that skin starts to toughen up. And it can handle the workload without the pain anymore. And we need the tough hide. And we need to let things roll off our back. And we need to go on for the glory of God. But I find that as we get that hardened shell. We also get that hardened heart. And so I want to say this. When you look at the things that Paul and Timothy and Titus and and now all these in Hebrews chapter 11, of whom the world was not worthy. And you look at the ministry of Christ and all that he went through and all that he'd done. He still somehow maintained a level of that soft heart. Now, we talk about the heart. And I'm probably going to get ahead of myself here and get, get out of my notes. But when, when we look at John chapter number 2. Now, let me show you first of all, in, in Luke chapter number 19, when we move out of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, we roll right into verse number forty-five. And verse number forty-five is the Bible says, and he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold their him, and them that bought, excuse me, and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him and could not find what they might do for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So we find that while he's weeping over Jerusalem, understanding here that his earthly ministry is coming to a close in these passages of scripture. The time is drawing nigh where he's going to go to Calvary, bleed and die, and be buried, rose again, rise again, and then eventually going to sit at the right hand of the throne of God and ever live to make intercession for the saints. And so what's happening here, we find that his earthly ministry is just about over. And this portion of scripture is showing us a purification of the temple. But it's not the first time this has happened. When you read this portion of scripture, you find this uh, same account in Matthew's gospel and uh, chapter number 21 in Mark's gospel. But but this is the second purification. This is three years past the first purification that we find in John chapter number two. And when you read in John chapter number two, we find the miracle at the, the wedding of Cana where he turned the water into wine. And we roll right out of the water being turned into wine into Jesus going into the temple. And in that account, we find that he premeditatedly uh, took some cords and, and, and plaited those cords and went in there and laid the law down and striped some hide. And he run them out of the temple because they had made it a den. Of thieves. He was angry. He was frustrated. Listen, we ought not ever get soft hearted towards sin. We ought to hate sin with a passion. We ought to hate the devil with a passion. We ought to fight tooth and nail with a passion. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to say this. Even though he had done what he done in the temple, he still weeped over Jerusalem. We find here in this second account, three years years have passed. We're we're in his third year of his earthly ministry. And we find here that he's weeping and, and crying and lamenting over the state of Jerusalem and their understanding. And then we see here that he goes into the temple and he purifies it again for the second time. I want to say this, that you can... You can maintain a level of, of uh, frustration with sin, but we cannot lose the soft-heartedness that of our Savior. Now, we are to be Christ-like. They first, we were first called Christians at Antioch, right? And we understand that to be a Christian is to be Christ-like, a disciple, a follower of Christ. We're to try to mold and shape ourselves by the example that Christ gave us. And to think that we all the time walk around with this hard-nosed, hard-shell attitude, that isn't Christ-like. Christ wept and cried and had a heart for sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. We know that He came into His own and His own received Him not. They didn't want to listen to what He had to say. And you're going to find all down through the ages there's people that don't want to hear what you've got to say. But there are some There's some that the seed can fall on the right kind of ground, Brother Gene, and we can see fruit come from that part of our ministry. But it comes from maintaining the right attitude and maintaining the right kind of heart. So here, let me me say this, if I can say it this way. We need tears again in our ministry. And I want you to ask yourself as I preach this message and I go through this message When is the last time that you've shed a tear for the cause of Christ? When is the last time you've laid your head on your pillow and you've cried for a lost and a dying world that's on their way to hell? When is the last time you've looked at your church and considered those that you go to church with and wept and cried on their behalf to the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm very afraid that in the days that we live, in these last days, that we've, we're getting that, that we're getting that tough hide that we may need. But at the same time, if we're not careful, our heart will get as hard as the hide. We have to be careful about that. Can I say to you, do you know what brings tears to the eyes of someone who's given truth? Now listen, I've said it all along, tears are not proof that the words are truth. But when you're given undeniable truth and you see the tears that go along with that, the only thing that can bring those tears to the eyes of someone who's given the truth is because they have a broken heart. A broken heart is undeniable, friend. And we need to have a broken heart once again. Tears are the outpouring of an overwhelming emotion. And I thought about the source of our tears. Tears can be brought on by physical pain, by emotional pain, emotional distress. Tears of joy to have struggled so long uh, with something and then to have the relief from that burden brings a joy. And a tear to one's eye because of the overwhelming emotion. Now we know that the heart is not the beating muscle. The heart is the brain, the mind. We find that in the book of Hebrews. But why is it that the heart, uh, when when we talk about the heart, that it's tied to that of the emotion? Because when your mind is so messed up with with overwhelming emotion, it pulls. Listen, a person that's lost a spouse has a broken heart. Do you know that the emotion that you have, if there's utter excitement, will cause your heart to beat excessively? Do you know that when one gets angry, their blood pressure goes up? Do you know why? Because their heart begins to beat harder. Your heart is connected to your emotion and your emotion is connected to your brain. And that's where we get this interwoven connection between the mind and the heart. That's why when the Bible is dealing with the mind in in connection to an emotion, it uses that of the heart in the scriptures. So when there's hurt, when there's joy, when there's anger, when there's sorrow, there's tears that show up. And it's an outpouring of an overwhelming emotion. And we find Jesus here in John chapter number 11. Turn quickly with me to John chapter number 11. John chapter number eleven and verse number thirty-five. Very short verse of scripture. Bible said, "Jesus wept." Can I say to you, friend, we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to have to have a broken heart. Now, listen. Let me explain to you something. Jesus is on the tail end of his earthly ministry in the Gospel of Luke. When I just read these verses of scripture. Uh, in your hearing out of Luke chapter number 19. Well, Gene, he's about done with what he's going to get done from an earthly ministerial standpoint. Can I say to you, time is of the essence. He's not going to be here a whole lot longer. And he sees the state of Jerusalem and their mental capacity and how they are understanding things, and he weeps because it broke his heart. There was an overwhelming emotion that he had to deal with as a man because he understood the state of Jerusalem. And when, when are we going to get to the place, church, when we understand the severity of a lost and dying world, understand the severity uh, of, the, of the family members that are lost and undone and their destination is that of hell? When are we going to get to the place in our life when we love our fellow man, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that when problems arise and issues come up, that it tears our heart out? When is the last time you have shed a tear? Or that of a loved one. See, Rachel, why are you pushing tears so much? Because I want you to understand something. Tears are a universal language. And it is something that God looks at. We're going to find that out here in just a minute. God pays attention to our tears. And when you realize that, friend, we need to understand today, we just don't have the heart sometimes to, that we need to have because we have gone through some trials and some troubles and some tribulations that has caused some scars and it's caused some calluses. And in the midst of the scars and the calluses, our heart has got hardened to the ministry. And if we don't have a broken heart, if we don't have the heart that we need to have, we will not succeed at what we're trying to do. We must again be broken hearted. So I ask you, when is the last time that you've been broken hearted or got along somewhere and cried because of something that's happened to a loved one or something's happened to that of someone in the church and it's broken your heart? We need that again. Jesus wept. The Bible tells us that he wept. Why did he weep? Well, we understand here that Lazarus, and I'm just going to run through this quickly. Lazarus has died. He's been in the grave four days. Mary and Martha thought, well, if you'd, if you'd have come, you could have done something. But he's already been dead four days and he stinks now. So they had the attitude that it's pretty much over with and nothing can be done. And people preach this verse of scripture as if Lazarus was dead and Jesus was broken hearted because his friend Lazarus was gone. Friend, He wasn't gone from Jesus. Lazarus wasn't gone from Jesus. Jesus hadn't seen Lazarus for the last time. Jesus was broken hearted because after all the miracles that he had done. And after all the things that he had shown. That of Israel. That of Jerusalem. Uh, what he was about. And what he was here to do. They still didn't get what he was there for. They still didn't believe and trust that he could do what no other man could do. It wasn't that Lazarus was dead. It was that that, that the people didn't f- have the faith that Christ could do what it was that He was fixing to do, and it broke His heart. We ought to have a broken heart towards people that don't get it. You know, there's a lot of folks going. They ain't they ain't getting it. They don't understand. And it could just be that they walk away not understanding But you know what? They ought to remember when they walk away. They ought to walk away knowing that you cried tears of sorrow. And they have to leave undeniably knowing that you loved them and cared for them like no one else ever had in their lives or their existence. And then one day, when the Lord does what only the Lord can do, they have to remember the time that you loved them and cared for them and wept over them. We have got to have a broken heart again. We've got to have a broken heart. We find here in John 11 and 35 simply this. Jesus wept because of spiritual disappointment. He was disappointed, Brother Gene. They weren't spiritual enough to understand Jesus could take care of the situation that Lazarus was in. They put limitations on God. They were missing the mark and it hurt can I say it hurts when people miss the mark? When you want them to get it so bad that they just don't get it, but it kills you down in your soul and it should kill you down in your soul. Can I say Jesus, that's not all Jesus was, was, was going to do. Jesus, he, he, had, he had told them the truth. He had shown them the truth. he had He had exemplified what he was about, yet they still missed it. And when you've exemplified it, when you've told it, when you've showed it and people still miss it, it ought to break our heart for you. And if we are where we ought to be with God, it will break our heart. Jesus was God in the flesh. And God in the flesh had his heart broken because the people should have gotten, but they didn't get it. And if we're like Christ and we're where we ought to be in our soul and in our heart for Him, when stuff like this happens, it'll break your heart. And if you have any other attitude than this attitude, where people don't get it, you need to check up on yourself and question you if you are where God wants you to Colossians three and twenty-three. I'll just read quickly. It said, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. So from the heart, uh, with, with, with all the heart, with sincerity, the context, uh, is dealing with the emotional aspect of a being right here. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily. How are we to do it? Well, heart is a brain, right? Sure, it's our brain, it's our mind, but it's our mind in context of our emotion. And when we do something, we ought to do it heartily as unto the Lord with our heart, with sincerity. The broken heart comes out of the body through the countenance of the individual that's hurting. Can I say the heart Reacts to stress and emotion. Amen. Psalms 57 is referring to when David fled from Saul in the cave. And he said in Psalms 57, 7, he said, my heart is fixed. Oh, God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Now we are talking about the mind being made up here. When he says that my heart is fixed, oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. David's saying I'm not going to allow the circumstances that's around me to detour me. My heart is fixed. He's basically saying I've made up my mind. I am determined to go on. But here, why is the heart used to describe what he's talking about here? Because David wasn't going to let any hurt change his mind. Now, the heart is the mind. And he's saying, I made up my mind. But when we consider the heart in relation to the mind, we're also talking about the emotion that comes with the state of mind. So he's basically saying here, my mind is fixed. But when he says my heart is fixed, he's saying I will not allow the emotion. I will not allow the stress. I will not let the strain that happens to me detour my mind. It is fixed. My heart is fixed. And that's the end of it. And you know what we got to do today? We got to determine that our heart is going to be fixed towards the things of God. When it when things come up that hurt us, and listen, things are going to come up that hurt you down in your soul. If you're right with God and you're right you need to be, and things go wrong, you will weep like Christ did. But you better be like David was and say, my heart is fixed. I'm determined to go on, I'm determined to go forward, I'm determined to do what God wants me to do, regardless of how the emotion impacts me. Time and time and time again, we see in the scripture, tears show up. I begin to start doing a word search. On tears, and I was blown away at how many times tears are talked about in the Scripture. And then you have some people that act why, if you shed a tear or you cry on the things of God, that, die, that, that you, you, you're not right on God. No, sir, we better all get to the place where our heart is broken and we cry tears. Isaiah 38 and 5 says, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord. The God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Hold I will add unto thy days, 15 years. Now, it's not my endeavor or my intention to preach on Hezekiah right now, but I want you to understand that when Hezekiah turned towards the wall and wept with bitter tears, that God took notice of his tears. We understand that God, by looking at his tears, was seeing the state of his heart. Because the state of your heart, the emotions of your mind, causes the tears to well up in your eyes. Can I say to you, when you look at somebody that's given you the truth, and you see tears well up in their eyes, you're looking straight into their heart. And when you give somebody your heart, listen, the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked, right? Well, we understand that the word of God changes a man's heart. So when the word of God takes a man that has a deceitful heart and does something with it, and then you give the truth of the gospel of Christ with love in your heart, it cannot help but be exemplified through your eyes. I, I would I would go so far as to say this a person that never sheds a tear over what our Savior done for us. Or what our Savior wants us to do by giving the gospel to a lost and dying world, understanding that they're on their way to hell. We might should stop and ask ourselves where we're missing the mark. As individuals, now i will not say everybody in the church has got to get up and cry and weep and war all over the floor, but I said somewhere in your private time, somewhere in your heart, somewhere in your life, something on a full on your heart screen that causes a fear to come to your eyes. And if it don't ever happen for you, you better question where you're at with God. Could just be that you're a little self-righteous. And a little prideful and think a little bit more of yourself than you all God faith, because we never put ourselves in our life in place and ask the question that then we said want to work there with our mind for deal. We ever realize that we are nothing. If we could go back and see ourselves as we were the day that if we got more saved, it would change our heart, and change our attitude. <laughs> Job said this in chapter 16, verse 20. He said, my friend scorned me, but my eye poureth out tears unto God. He was hurting. You know, we live in a world where it's full of pain and full of hurt. Not everything's glorious and grand about our lives. There's troubles, there's trials. If we're heartfelt towards this lost and dying world, we'll have a burden. I worry about Christians, brother G, that's always ugly and on cloud because the first time the path falls out from under them, they're out of the house of God. They're done with the ministry. They're done with the church. They're done. You know why it is? Because they were only there for what they could get out of it, friend. You. When you're here to do something other than what you can get out of it, then you're here for the right reasons. When the Bible talks about uh, the word exhort one another. forsake not the sending of yourselves together is the manner of some is but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, as every day that passes by, we need each other more than we ever have. And you better come to the house of God, not just to get what you can get out of it, but what you can give back to Holy thought about Esther. You know the danger that Esther was in by having to go before the king and not have been called on behalf of the Jews. Think about this. The Bible said to Esther 8 and 3, and Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet. And I'm going to tell you something. When you have, when she had to go before the king on behalf of the Jews, knowing that, it, that the king could take her life for having gone to him and having not been summoned, there was fear that struck in her heart. You realize serving the Lord in the capacity that he expects us to sometimes puts us in a place where fear strikes us in our heart. And it also causes an emotion. And sometimes we can cry out of fear. She she goes before the king. And Esther spake yet again before the king and fell down at his feet and brought him with tears. And besought him with tears, excuse me. To put away the mischief of Haman. The Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. You know what I think the king done? I believe when the king seen a woman come to him that knew before she came to him about something that she could die, when he looked at her countenance and he looked at the tears and he looked at the heartbreak and the sorrow, he didn't have the heart to do to her what by law he couldn't have done. If you think they're sick and the Lord doesn't think about it and they, they consider the tears that you cry for the sake of someone else, you are sadly and utterly mistaken this morning. We know Jeremiah was what? The weeping prophet. He said in chapter 9 and verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters. And mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. What he's saying here, he says, I don't have enough. My heart's so broke, I've run plumb out of tears. I don't have any more tears to give. Oh, that my head were waters. And mine eyes a fountain of tears. He was so broken hearted, he'd cried himself that he'd run plumb out of tears. We see in Luke chapter number 13, the lamenting of Christ. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now listen to this. Which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. Well, prophet is what? A prophet was sent of God to reveal what God had to say. Jesus has said. Oh Jerusalem Jerusalem. Which killest the people that I have sent you. To say what I wanted them to say. And stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together. As a hen doth gather her brood. Under her wings. And ye would not. He's saying in spite of all that you've done. To those that i sent to you. I still long and desire to bring you under my wing as a hen does her chicks. When are we going to get to the place where we see the persecution, we see the trouble, we see the trials, but we still have a heart to gather the people under our wing and try to get them saved on the marvelous grace of God and decipher them and bring them up through the ranks and teach them what this book has to say. He had a heart even though That Jerusalem was attacking the very people that was sin of God. I thought about Paul. He said in Acts chapter number 20. Verse number 19. He said serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And with many tears. And temptations which befell me by lying in the way the Jews. Acts 20 and 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I could not. I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Second Timothy 1 and 4. Greatly desiring to see uh, to see thee being mindful of thy tears. 2 Corinthians 2 and 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know. Think about this now. The love. Why did he do it? He said, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved. I don't want my tears to grieve you. But that you might know the love which I have more abundantly toward you. You realize the tears coupled with the truth left an undeniable uh, undeniable action that was set forth by Paul. Tears don't validate the words as truth, but tears coupled with truth leaves undeniable proof what your motivation is towards that one that you're talking to. Now, like this Psalms 100. And 26. Turn there with me, real quickly. To Psalms 126. Now, let me explain to you quickly what this psalm is dealing with. It's a song of joy. Upon the return of the remnant of Israel. Back from Babylonian captivity. But it's also a psalm of prophecy. We can take this psalm and use it. And utilize it in a practical application. Let's read this psalm real quick. Bible said in Psalms 126. When the Lord turned again. The captivity of Zion. We were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. This is prophetic of Jesus Christ. Can I say that we find in the scriptures that he sowed in tears. And he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves With him. I thought about Galatians six and nine, the Bible says, And let us not be weary in well doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know what you and I need to do today? We need to sow in tears. And I'm persuaded that if we'll sow in tears, that we will reap. And the Bible tells us not to be weary. In well doing, what happens when we get a, a, a callous uh, exterior? We get a hardened interior, and we get we get weary in well doing. And I want to say this: sometimes we get weary in the fight, but but we need uh, we we must not get weary of the fight. See, we get weary in the fight sometimes, but some of us, if we're not careful, get weary of the fight because we've allowed the hardness of our exterior to creep into the hardness of our interior. And they are hardened on the outside, but we've also hardened on the inside. And we need something to break that hardness. Psalms 56. The Bible says in Psalms chapter Number fifty six and verse number eight it says thou tellest my wanderings. Now this is David when he was running uh, from Saul. And uh let's let's look here. It says uh, verse number eight Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. When he cries, the enemies turn back. What's that mean? That means God has taken notice of the tears that have been shed. And even has a record of the tears that have been shed and he takes the tears in the universal language because God looks on the heart. Man looks off the outward appearance, but the Lord looking on the heart. And the tears are something that flow because of the emotional state of man's heart. And so let me say this. When you cry tears for your fellow man, when your heart is broken for those who you don't want to see go through The things that they're going through. It's a prayer unto God that only God can understand. He reads, he understands our tears. Now let me see if I can find this here. Psalms chapter number 34. Let me say Psalms 56 and Psalms 34 are collective psalms dealing with the same thing. So let's turn to Psalms 34 for just a minute. Verse number one says in Psalms 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. He said, this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Listen, there's going to be tears of hurt for loved ones. And there's going to be tears of pain that come through circumstances that we have to go through as born-again believers. And there will be hurt on behalf of others. And then they'll be hurt because of others. And when you hurt because of others, I want you to understand the Lord takes notice of your tears. He said, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. <laughs> he didn't say he cried out. He didn't say that he was praying. He said he cried. David was crying tears. David had reached place for David didn't know what to say. David didn't have nothing to say. David was just an emotional wreck. Have you ever been an emotional wreck? He said, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all all his troubles. So the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I'm glad that even when I'm an emotional wreck, I can taste and see that the Lord is good. To know that I have no one to turn to, but I have someone to turn to. He said, Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they want to seek the Lord, shall not want any good thing. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you of the fear of the Lord. He said, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Then brought, let's drop down here to verse number uh, 16. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Listen now. The Lord is nigh unto them. Praise God. Listen to this closely. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. If you have, you don't have to be righteous, but if you have righteous motivation. And I'm not talking about being perfect, and I'm talking about not being in rebellion. I know about if your desires are for the cause of Christ. If your desires have righteous motivation. I want you to understand when you cry and you're in distress. The Bible said the Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart. But then it says and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all, he keepeth all of his bones; not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Let me say this, and I'll be done. If you, in your ministry, in your seriousness and service to the Lord, find yourself in a broken with a broken heart. I want you to understand that they that are of a broken heart, the Lord is nigh unto them. He sees your tears. He understands your tears. There's a record of your tears. But I want to ask you, maybe you're here this morning and it's been so long since you've had a tear or you've been broken hearted for someone in their situation. Maybe you need to come and check in with God and find out what's wrong with you in your relationship with the Lord. It is not good to go time a long length of time to realize that you've not been broken hearted for someone in their situation. You know why we love the brethren? We love him because what? We love our brethren. We should never get pleasure out of seeing anyone hurt or anyone in distress, or anyone going the wrong way. But it should rip our heart out. And when you have a broken heart, the Lord takes notice, and the Lord draws nigh. You need to come do business with God this morning. I wish you would. We are not going to do anything in this world if we have the hide of a rhinoceros, but also have the heart of one too. We need to have the heart of God. We, we, in order to have the heart of God, God is going to have to do a work in our heart. In order for God to do a work in our heart, you're going to have to be broken hearted about your heart. You're going to have to first be broken hearted about the state of your heart. But he which has a broken heart and a contrite spirit, the Lord will not despise. If you need to come talk to the Lord, you come this morning as I pray. Our Heavenly Father, We come to you this morning. We love you. We thank you for loving us. And as we were reminded today, what art man that thou art mindful of him. Lord, that you even look at us and consider our existence. Oh, that you would even come to send your son to die on Calvary that we might have a relationship with you. It's mind-blowing. I can't understand it. I can't fathom it. It's too great for me to comprehend. But I'm awfully thankful for it, Lord. When I consider the weeping that you had over Jerusalem and the care that you had for the people, when I consider your willingness to go to Calvary for me, I want to. I want to have that heart. I want to exemplify and always be humble in a fashion that people can look into my eyes and understand that tears are not proof that the words we speak are truth. But Lord, when we speak the truth that it's coupled with tears, that it's proof of our motivation. Lord, we need that today. We need some validation. People need to see the realness of our concern that they might get a glimpse of Calvary. That they might get a glimpse of the love in which you loved us. Lord, that we could exemplify the way that you loved us. Lord, we're here to share the gospel. We're here to exemplify to people the love that you had for us. And I'm afraid we're failing at it a great deal. And I ask you, Lord, to help us. To be that example to this lost and dying world and to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. When they look at us, Father, that they see you. Help us, God, if there's one person in the sound of my voice this morning that is in a place in the ministry, uh, in their life, where folk are seeing them, that we could get it out of the way so that folk could see you again. I don't want to be seen. I have no desire this morning. Lord, you know my heart. I have no desire this morning to be known of men to have a reputation of, of any kind of a status in this life but I want you to be exemplified in all that we do. Help us, Lord, I pray, to shine the light of the glorious gospel to a lost and a dying world and to exemplify Christ in all that we are and do. We'll thank you and love you and praise you, give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things and do holy we beg of you, God. Amen and amen.